You are listening to the IBC Podcast, your international baseball career guide. Play ball! Now, here's your host, David Burns. Back again for another episode. This is number 30, and today I have Melvin Perdue on the podcast. Melvin uh, is a veteran of Dutch baseball. He's been there for, well, he's currently in his fourth year, and uh, he can speak inside out about Dutch baseball within the first and second division and the opportunities within. Uh, He goes into a lot of detail about the level of baseball and uh, what's required as a player to, to get a get on with one of these clubs in either level and how similar the two levels are and, and the compensation within. Uh, also, he, he, we get into a little detail about uh, the opportunities for Australians and Canadians in Dutch baseball, so make sure to stay tuned for that if you're an Aussie or Canadian. Uh, and also, his, his story alone is just very cool. Uh, he takes us through uh, where he went to college, uh, and then he played some pro ball, Eventually ended up uh, on a movie set rubbing elbows with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill, which is uh, a very interesting part of the the story, and then uh, on to the Netherlands. So without further ado, let's get on with this podcast, episode number 30 with Melvin Perdue. Powered by Middle Punk Media, your sports marketing agency. We put sports center stage. Melvin, good to see you again. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. Glad to be here. Right on. So, uh, you know, I, you're playing, uh, I, you're in the third year, your third year playing in Holland, but can you take us uh, back before the first year that you came to Holland and tell us a little bit about uh, your background in baseball and then how did you end up in Holland? Okay, well, um, I played college baseball in New England uh, for St. Asm College. They're a Division II school in the southern part of New Hampshire. Um, very strong Division II conference. It's actually a wooden bat conference. So um, very good competition, very, very good pitching because obviously pitchers want to pitch up there because it's a wooden bat conference. So mm-hmm. um, got a lot of publicity up there. Um, after my senior season, I went out to California, played some summer ball out there. And uh, from there, got my first professional contract, got invited to um, spring training with the independent team Mm -hmm. that was in uh, pretty much deep, deep South Texas, pretty much on the Texas-Mexican border. Yeah. Uh, It was a great experience, but um, also really uncomfortable (laughs) because that was right around the time where they had a lot of issues in Mexico with drug cartels, things like that. It was just, they were talking about people getting kidnapped from that city. It was just a mess. Yeah. And that was, that was actually right around the time where, um, Moneyball came into the picture. So, um, that opportunity presented itself. So from there went to work on the movie, which I'm sure we'll get into that later. Yeah. And um, shortly after the movie, I got contacted by uh, the club, um, the Cardinals here in Europe, if I would be interested in coming over here to play. So either I could have did that or accepted another invitation to another minor league um, independent spring training. So I chose why not come to a different country, different culture, mm-hmm. do something new. Okay. And so how did that happen? How, where, like, you know, of all the baseball players out there in the U.S., how did they find you, or did you, or did you put yourself out there, uh, you know, and out, you know, on, on the web somewhere? Well, I de- it was a little bit of both. I um, 
I played in a lot of different um, summer leagues, um, played a lot of high-level teams in Arizona, Nevada, California, but I also put myself out there. At that time, there was um, on the Honkball site in Holland. Yeah, They had a place where um, foreign players could post their resumes. Mm-hmm. So I did that as well. Um, if there was any other international sites um, that seemed legitimate, whether it was Mr. Baseball or one of those, I also posted um, a resume on there. Just really got my name out there, but not just a resume, posted videos, yeah. um, um, links to college stats, summer stats, um, press releases, just pretty much um, – everything I could to really market, you know, myself in a sense. Okay. So you didn't, you didn't know somebody that knew, know somebody you, you did it all yourself and got, you got your name out there and, and, uh, did you, you know, so did you get many hits right away or did you have to kind of stick with it for a while? Absolutely. Um, a club, I believe it was a second division club in Germany, the second or third division, I don't really remember, in Germany contacted me, a club in Belgium contacted me, um, maybe one or two others um, pretty quickly, but um, nothing really hit home, nothing really sounded um, um, like an opportunity I wanted to pursue at the time. So, um, but then eventually when this opportunity came around and obviously people know about the Netherlands, they're up and coming in baseball. So I thought that that would be one that was worth pursuing. Yeah. Okay. So that, that, that's interesting. And when was that exactly? That would have been 2000, I believe said the winter of 2010 going into 2011. Okay, so you're playing for the Voss Cardinals. Can you tell us which uh, division they're in, in in Holland? They're in the first class division, so um, it's basically seen as they do have very good quality baseball players. There, obviously, it's not the whole class division, but they do have very good quality baseball players. The thing about the first class division is it's a division that a lot of guys who used to play whole class um, that have families, full-time jobs, can't afford to pretty much play three, four times a week in whole class anymore. So they come to first class and they can still play high-level ball once, maybe twice a week mm-hmm. and still be at home with their families, be with their kids. So that's um kind of a background of that competition. So it's definitely not a slouch competition. There's very um, quality, especially hitters. There's very quality hitters and position players and uh, even a few pitchers. Um, in the competition, but it's basically it's good level of ball, but it's just you're playing only once or twice a week at best. Okay, so do you think you have a do you have a combination of these guys that are kind of on their way uh, out uh, of baseball, or like you said, they're married, so they're 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 kind of at the end of their career, but they still can play ball at a high level. And then you have the young guys that are kind of coming up, but aren't quite ready for for the Dutch major league. Yeah, absolutely, and then because you have a lot of the guys, because obviously the um, a lot of the clubs that are in this class are smaller clubs, mm-hmm. so they definitely have good ball players, good young ball players that maybe whole class teams haven't found yet. Yeah, um, I know a lot of the baseball academies um, recruit some of the kids coming out of these um, clubs and then they go into the academies and they eventually work their way into whole class. So mm-hmm. essentially it's also a feeder system for some young guys. Cause I've 
seen a couple of young players that can definitely ball in this competition as well. Mm-hmm. So, okay, can you tell us, tell me a little bit about uh, uh, the number of clubs within the the first class? Uh, because uh, you know, just doing my research online, I just keep coming across more and more and more Dutch clubs, uh, but I'm just not aware of how many of them. Uh, actually play at that level or if they're quite a bit down like a hobby team or or so i, I just want to get an idea how many there's about 22 21 or 22 in first class okay wow and they're broken up into class um they're broken broken up into a and b a is more the north um northern part of um holland or yeah. the netherlands yeah and b is kind of central and south yeah. So that's kind of how it's broken up. Okay. Um, and then at the end of the season, the champion of A and B play each other. Okay. Um, in the championship. So kind of like think of it kind of like an American League and National League, essentially. Okay. And if uh, if there's 22 clubs and and are are do you know, how much do you know about the importing going on within uh, the first class? Well, it's definitely changed. When I was first here, my first year, because this is actually coming up on my fourth year here, mm-hmm. my first year between first class, um, overguns, and um, hoof class, there was a lot of us. There was a good amount of um, importing in all levels. Now, <laughs> it's definitely decreased. Um, as the years progress, you started seeing less and less and less. And this year, as far as I know, I'm there might be one other, but in first class um, specifically, and um, I don't think there's any in hope in, um, um, class right now. I'm not sure about Overgun's class, but first class, as far as I know, um, at this point, in this class, class B, I might be the only one here, wow. unfortunately, at this point. Okay, so out of 22 teams... Maybe there's, you know, just talking about the first class only, not even uh, the hoof class, there's maybe two or three. It's possible. And, you know, um, they could very well be bringing more guys in because obviously the season hasn't started yet, um, the competition. Well, why don't we talk about last year then? How many were there last year? Last year, yeah, about three or four. Yeah. Okay, so there's not a lot of opportunities, and that's because of the you know the the problems with visa, the visa restrictions. Yeah. You know, uh, so. it's, yeah, it's definitely not for lack of um, the clubs wanting to bring people over, but um, at least in the Netherlands specifically, they're they're really starting to crack down on um, visas, not overstaying, not staying for longer than three months. Proper um, making sure you have the yeah, proper documentation like they're really starting to crack down on it and to be perfectly honest with you i'm not really sure where that came from because it it, it took a drastic drop between i want to say 2012 and 2013 is when it really the importing really hit a nosedive in um the netherlands yeah i think Um, yeah just through talking to others that have played up there i i think they just because it's a per, the in the hoof class, it's a professional league, and I think uh, you know they've it's just it's been it's been known that they've been doing that for a number of years, where where guys will come and stay past their three months, and so I think they just I think they just crack down on it. It sounds like yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that does present opportunities for uh, 
I don't know. I guess they don't like Canadians because Canadians can actually come there and stay for uh, for a year. Uh, and they yeah. apply. They can apply for a, a, a working visa, or it's it's like it's called a holiday working visa or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's you know you you I, I've researched it a little bit, and you need a minimum bank account balance of about two thousand dollars, and um, and uh, you have to be between the ages of eighteen and thirty. But I mean, I would think that they would start looking to maybe import Canadians, and also Australians have that that option too. Unfortunately, Americans don't. So yeah. I, I, I I was expecting to maybe hear there's more more coming, or that maybe in the future there will be more Canadians and Australians. But uh, it's definitely yeah. a common theme. A lot a lot less Americans are being imported right now, and uh, so yeah. So you're one of the few. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, it comes down to because I am hearing about more. I'm not too sure about Canadians, but I also, I definitely hear that more and more Australians are being um, recruited. Um, whether or not they have a different visa or a different passport, I'm not sure. Also, people with dual citizenship or guys coming from other EU countries. Mm-hmm. You're starting to um, utilize that, especially at the whole class level, um, where they're starting to bring some of those guys, like the the better guys from, say, Belgium or anybody, starting to recruit those guys to come to Hope class and play on some of those teams, things like that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I understand. I, I think if Canadians or Australians were a little more uh, proactive and reached out to these teams and said, "Hey, I can get a, a working visa and stay a year, and I played this level of baseball." So, what do you think the you know prior to this cutback? What do you think the average level are, uh, of play or background of imports uh, should be in order to have a shot at playing in the first class or the the, the hoof class? Um. First class, pretty much to be um, competitive, because like I said, um, make no mistake that it's a second division or whatever have you, because, and this is speaking neutral, unbiased, they got some people that can play here. Like a couple of the imports that I played with um, earlier, my my earlier years here, especially the pitchers, they, they even got a little bit of a reality check. Like they came in thinking that they might just dominate the situation. Like, oh, yeah, it's not whole class, so I'm going to come in and dominate. And some of them teams gave them a reality check. So I would say um, I've seen guys that can, that played Division three that were very good ball players. They just might have not got the opportunity or seen to be able to play Division one ball. So – just because they're not Division One players, I'm not going to say that they can't compete here. I would just say, obviously, high level, um, whether it's Division Three, Two, or One, high level players. It, it would take a high level player and a and a confident player to be able to play here because um, they, the Netherlands and the Dutch, are starting to know that they can play baseball. Mm-hmm. So with that comes um, a sense of a, a, kind of a sense of pride. Yeah. So um, when they bring an import in, they do expect them to be productive. Now, depending on the club, they will be more so willing to work with you, be um, easier going with you, but they still essentially expect results. So you definitely have to have thick skin and confidence. And, you know, you definitely got to be a sound ball player to be able to shine here in even this competition or um, definitely the ones higher. But this one, I would say, you know, high-level college ball, whether you're a high-level D3, D2, or D1 player, 
Overguns class, pretty much the same. Um, head class, very, very high-level college ball into um, successful, somewhat successful um, minor league or independent careers to be um, successful at that level. Like, I I know a lot of whole class players, you know, throughout my career here, I've been asked if I wanted to play whole class by certain teams. I mean, it's very good baseball. Is it impossible? No. But it's um it's very good baseball and they, they know how to play up there. So you definitely have to be a, a solid ball player to be able to um compete up there. And especially to 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 go break straight in, you know, like uh, I know guys like yourself where once they've been over in Europe and have proven themselves in a in a league that maybe is a little lower than the than the hoof class, then uh, often they can they can use that as a stepping stone and break in. But other than that, I, I keep hearing it's got to be minor league minor league experience to, to break straight in. And, and Yeah, to break in, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you would have to um, – it's difficult to just be, you know, somebody that they know nothing about and just get an opportunity to um, – not to say it's impossible, especially with the lower-end teams of whole class. They might be more so willing to take that chance on a bit of an unknown if they really researched him and he proves to be a proven ball player at the collegiate or minor league level. But, yeah, absolutely. If they don't know about you, if you haven't been in the country and they haven't seen you play or seen you play in another country, um, then, yeah, it would be extremely difficult to break in up there. Absolutely. But um, that's why it helps to get your foot in the door somewhere. And if you shine somewhere, then they will be more willing to um, take a shot at, um, take a shot on you. And uh, just speaking about the the first class and uh, the Overgangs class, eh, which is pretty much the same level of baseball that you're playing, so basically a second second division. Um, yeah. If if somebody were to to get that working visa in Australia or a Canadian, and and maybe uh, you know contact a few teams and and they hum and haw or whatever, and they don't they don't make any progress but they actually are proactive and fly over there and walk on or or come in just try to try to get a, a walk on uh you know invite or something like that do you think that's possible to get picked up that way like if somebody oh, were, were traveling europe and they just showed up with a with a working visa saying they're allowed to stay there a year do you think they would just welcome them with open arms if they were a decent ball player oh absolutely because first of all that saves um their money because most of the clubs have to pay for flights you know all these other kind of accommodations but the most important aspect of that is they actually get to try you out and see you play before they commit to you see the scariest thing for a lot of these clubs is and it's even backfired um like once with the club that i'm at you know, the scariest thing is you're still essentially taking a risk when you bring somebody over. I mean, you can look at their stats, you can take a peek at their videos, but it's still a big gamble, you know, because they have to be able to um, fit in with the club. They have to be, you know, have the right personality, you know, confidence, et cetera, et cetera. And, and a lot of that can't be seen on a video. Yeah. So, um, but if they showed up, you know, you got to meet that person. You got to see them play and really try them out. Oh, that would help a ton. I think that would absolutely help a ton. Yeah, and I think they could even potentially say, "Hey, if if I if I can prove to you that I can I can I can play at this level and and, and help your team, and I have this one year visa, could I be reimbursed for my flight or something like that?" I think that's a, an option that some guys could think of. Of course, they need that money up front and that 
that free time to be able to just hop on a plane and go maybe travel Europe and try it in a few different countries. But that's just something I'm thinking of these days, especially in Holland right now with the decrease in the amount of imports there. I, mm-hmm. I think there's probably a demand for it. It's just like you said. I think a lot of them are a little hesitant to to take a chance on a guy, and and sometimes if you're proactive, you can you can make things happen. So, absolutely, absolutely, perfect. Um, you know, I just before I move on to Moneyball, I just want to ask you a little bit about uh, your your contract. You know, you know, I, just a little bit of you don't have to go into detail, but just a little info. So. You know, I'm assuming it's probably uh, in the second division is probably pretty much parallel with any other league in Europe as far as the contract that they offer, which is usually a return flight and apartment and maybe a little pocket change. So, is it actually absolutely actually um, no? (laughs) It's actually a lot better than you would think it was, and which is one of the reasons why. I mean, the biggest reason why I stuck around, I mean, because besides um, higher levels here, there's been interest from other clubs from other countries. But um, it's just, first of all, the the contract, it, it greatly varies from club to club because obviously I've known a lot of imports that was at first class, overguns class, and hope class because it's kind of a tight-knit group here. Um it really isn't that far off from what Hope Class was getting, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. I mean, they, they definitely, at least speaking for this particular club, they're, they're very good people, and they really they really um, take care of you. Um, obviously, with transportation, living, the, um, the mo- um, monthly stipends, things like that, um, they, they really take care of you. So, um, But then I've heard of... Um, Guys that were in overguns class who barely got a hundred to two hundred euros a month, yeah, and things like that, and and or hope class guys who didn't even get that much. I mean, it just all depends on the club, yeah. Um, but at least from our standpoint, it actually would surprise you because, and that was the thing about it, is because going up to hope class might have only been a difference of two hundred, yeah. Okay. Maybe, yeah. um, but it was like um, it was really a comfortable situation here because these are great people, family oriented clubs. So um, it, it greatly depends, and I know what you mean because um, more times than not, second division clubs usually only offer you a place to stay, maybe a little bit of pocket money and a bicycle or something like that. Um, but. This club in particular did very well to compete with um, financially with some of the big boys in the country. So that was that was really nice to see. Okay, so but it, with sorry, go ahead. No, it's a problem. Um, but with that, obviously, becomes respon- um, comes responsibility because it goes way beyond just playing baseball. They definitely want you to work with their kids. Like me, I coached the first juniors team. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where they really see their money well spent because not yes they're getting a solid baseball player but they feel like they're getting a very good coach or somebody who can really teach their kids the game especially being in this part of the country they don't get as many opportunities their kids don't get as many opportunities to learn from experienced trainers yeah and that's where they really feel their money is well spent because that way these juniors are their first team of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So they really want to make sure that they are being taught properly um, to prepare them for the future. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, and I think that's pretty standard everywhere around Europe, except maybe the the top two leagues, like in the Italy and in Holland. There, so um, can you? Yeah, you you did say that uh, you know maybe some clubs have a little bigger budgets than others, like the one year with. If if someone were to get an opportunity in this first class, can you uh, tell us maybe who the, the the bigger clubs are, the clubs that seem to have a little more uh, uh, you know thicker wallets or? Well, it's a, it's a revolving door because obviously, like all the other um, European European um, leagues, it's a promotion demotion system. Mm-hmm. So essentially, um, the Cardinals, for example, if we won the championship this year and won the championship next year, we'd be in whole class. Yeah. So, um, but off the top of my head, um, that's a very good question. <laughs> um, more so, I think the, the um, clubs in Class A because that's closer to Amsterdam, Harlem. Okay. Uh, those areas they would be more so the um, financially sound club. The club, the club that are in the central and especially the south, generally struggle a little more in that regard. Um, well, I guess that's a tough question because you don't really see them bringing over guys much. So, exactly. So it's exactly. kind of hard to say what they might do, you know. So I, I'm just yeah. thinking if somebody were to do what I said, which is to, you know, pack their bags and head over to Europe and go on a little holiday and hope to get picked up um, mm-hmm. and maybe get that working visa or something like that or, or try to come mm-hmm. in that way because I know, I know of people that have done stuff like that where they've actually gone and worked in one of these countries and then yeah. showed up at one of the at one of the practices at the beginning of the year and then you know sometimes you can end up being getting paid that way so yeah because and and I think that um if anywhere it would be like I said around um hitting some of the first class and overguns class um clubs um more so in the north I think that that would be more um the clubs that would probably be more willing or financially more able to provide accommodation mm-hmm. Um, not to say that there's, cause there's, def- there's clubs in the South that would do it too, but it's just, they're usually smaller clubs yeah. with small budgets by majority. Okay. Perfect. So, um, yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good answer. Thanks. Um, okay. Prior to, prior to Holland, somehow you worked your way onto the, the, the movie set of Moneyball. Can you, you <laughs> know, and you, we talked about that before, but I didn't really we didn't go into much detail and I went and yeah. I went and saw you pop up in Moneyball. Good job, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. so how yeah. did that happen? How did you get that, that role? I know it wasn't a, you know, it was maybe a, a, a I think you're on there once, but that's, um, that's pretty darn cool. Can you three, tell me about it? Yeah, there was three scenes. Um, one of them um, was me and Jonah Hill in the weight room. And he's basically telling me how I need to swing the first pitch. Cause if not, I suck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the second one was in the Royals game, and the third one, which is the biggest scene, is obviously when I pretty much ended the season for the A's. <laughs> um, I still got a lot of grief on that one. I know right after he saw it, my college baseball coach hit me up on Facebook and was like, really, Melvin? Really? You ended the season? Really? Um, <laughs> basically, when I told you the opportunity presented itself actually while I was still um, – in Texas with the independent team. When you were trying and, not to get kidnapped or whatever. Yeah, basically. And then I, that became a no-brainer to me. The um, casting director for the movie um, found out about me through another baseball player who um, was already signed on to the movie. Um, 
basically they were still at that point they were still trying to fill the roles of Miguel Tejada and um, Ray Durham, uh-huh. which I got the role of Ray Durham. And so he asked me if I wanted to come down to an audition in L.A., which was um, basically a baseball workout. Yeah. It was basically a baseball workout. They had way over 100 guys there, um, probably somewhere around 150 um, ball players there. And they basically ran it like a pro baseball tryout. They wanted to see us hit. They wanted to see us field. We had to go on camera and tell about our baseball background. And it just so happens one of the guys who was consulting at the time, he was the head baseball coach for USC. Mm-hmm. And he actually played with Ray Durham. Okay. So yeah. after I after I got done hitting, um, I was kind of just hanging around at second base, goofing off with a couple of the baseball players. And then he just kind of walks up to me. He's like, what's up, Ray Ray? And I'm like, excuse me? He's like, oh, you've already been casting as Ray Durham. I was like, uh Thank you. <laughs> so, but that's basically how it happened. They um they found out about me through a baseball player, another baseball player who was already signed on as Carlos Beltran in the movie. Yeah. And they invited me down to L.A. I went down there for that tryout with all the other ball players, and they pretty much signed me that day. That's cool. With no acting experience or what? No, because pretty much all the guys that were baseball players in the movie, with the exception of maybe two guys. Yeah. They were all high-level baseball players. I mean, all of them. I mean, everybody, especially that signed on to be an Oakland A. Yeah. Even even guys who had big scenes or guys who didn't, you didn't even see them in the movie. All those guys at some point in their careers have been drafted, played years of minor league ball. Even the guy that played David Justice, most people don't know that he played in the Braves organization for a new, uh, number of years. Yeah. I mean. Uh, all those guys had high-level baseball experience, so um, but only a select few were actually, quote, trying to be actors. Everybody else was just a baseball player trying to be a part of a baseball movie. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, maybe uh, maybe we'll see you down the road in, in the next in Moneyball 2 or something like that. Maybe they'll give you a <laughs> Well, I, I had another opportunity. I also was in a Dick Sporting Goods baseball commercial, so that was fun, too. Oh, cool. Right <laughs> yeah. on. That that's that's pretty cool. I'll have to I'll have to YouTube that or something. <laughs> Perfect. Well, you know, thanks, Melvin. Thanks for your time, and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully, we get to meet this summer or something like that. Uh, I'm going to try to fly up to to uh, the Netherlands. There's some cheap flights coming out of out of uh, Salzburg here, but uh, if that doesn't work out, we'll 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 stay in contact and uh, we'll we'll definitely keep in touch. All right, absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. Good luck this season. Hey, thank you. See ya. See ya. Powered by Middle Punk Media, your sports marketing agency. We put sports center stage. Well, that wraps up another episode of the International Baseball Community Podcast. Uh, I really enjoyed that interview, especially the part about Moneyball and uh, Melvin's 15 minutes of fame story. Uh, pretty inspirational uh, and interesting at the same time. Uh, Melvin's a, a veteran of Dutch baseball. He spent four years. Well, he's in his fourth year there right now. Uh, so, so the kid can speak inside out about Dutch baseball. So he provided a ton of great information there. 
uh, including uh, uh, some information on recent changes that are happening within Dutch baseball in terms of the recent uh, decline in the number of imports that are traveling to the Netherlands or getting signed on in the Netherlands. Uh, but on the other end, this has opened up opportunities for Australians and Canadians uh, to take their career to the Netherlands as they both qualify for working holiday visas. Uh, so Canadians and Aussies listening to this podcast episode, look into that. Uh, there's more details within my uh, ebook, which is free. Uh, you can find it on the website. It's specifically for Canadians, but uh, uh, Australians apply to a lot of the same countries. And this ebook basically outlines all the other countries that offer a similar working holiday visa. Uh, if you can qualify for that visa, then that's just going to make you more valuable uh, in the eyes of these clubs and will open more doors for you. Uh, so I also welcome you to download my other two ebooks. One's on uh, Austrian baseball and the other's on German baseball. Both are free and very informative, so take a peek at those as well. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, I'd, I'd really appreciate it if you share it or you like it uh, or comment on it uh, on the blog. Uh, also, if you can, uh, if you're interested in being on the podcast, or you know someone else that has an international baseball story similar to that of Melvin's, I'd love to hear about it. So please email me at internationalbaseballcommunity@gmail.com. Until next time, I'm your host, David Burns. Take care, everybody.